Paul and his team had been accused of walking in the flesh. And this accusation caused Paul to acknowledge, notice what he said, for though we walk in the flesh, he didn't deny it. Though we walk in the flesh, because we are human, we walk in the flesh. But he went on to say, we do not war according to the flesh. So there was this recognition. We're human. Of course we walk in the flesh. But the method of our warfare is not that of the flesh. It's different. Though they were human, they did not war according to the way other humans warred. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Alright, we're going to be looking at, we're picking up in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 today. And as we get into 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we are going to notice a change in um, Paul's writing. In fact, the change is so dramatic that it's caused some of the theologians, some of the scholars who like to look into these things, saying that this is such a drastic change. It seems that it's actually part of a different letter. And it has caused some to theorize. Of course, we can't know for sure, but... Some to theorize, and we do know that Paul wrote more than two letters to the Corinthian church because he tells us that in these letters that he had written to them before. But not all those letters have been recorded for us. But some theorize that chapters 10 through 13 actually may have came from a different letter that had been attached at a later date to 2 Corinthians. We can't know that for sure, but No one is questioning whether Paul wrote this section. They're just seeing that it um, is different. And they're trying to make sense of why his change of topic and the frankness that he gives. As with all of Paul's letters, we need to understand that he wrote to the various churches that he had ministered at. Many of these churches he had helped to start. He had been the one who had first come to proclaim the gospel to them. And so it could be that this noticeable change is merely another method of Paul wanting to equip, wanting to encourage, but also wanting to correct. And there were some issues that he has been talking about both in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He has been mentioning it here and there, but now he's going to go into it. And so in a sense, he's been giving us a tease 
of that which is about to come in chapters 10 through 13. So today we're going to look at a message that I entitled The Weapons of Our Warfare, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We are going to see our first point, verses 1 through 6, that I titled Mighty in God, verses 7 through 11, Belonging to Christ, and 12 through 18, The Commendation of Christ. I'm going to go ahead and read our first three verses. Again, a brief prayer asking God to bless the teaching of his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 3 says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, that I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intended to be bold against some who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And so, Father, again, we ask that you would bless the teaching of your word as we look into it now. Paul is writing about a specific situation that took place between his ministry and the church there in Corinth. But Lord, help us to apply these general truths that we can glean from your holy word to our lives this day in our ministry. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Paul's adversaries, they had spread these erroneous rumors about him, about his conduct, about his character. They seemed to ask the Corinthians to recall Paul's mild conduct while he was with them versus the forcefulness that he might have in his letters, his epistles to them. They were trying to say that Paul was kind of this chameleon, that he appeared one way while he was with you, but acted in entirely another way while writing to you. By doing so, they were suggesting that perhaps Paul could not be trusted as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and perhaps saying that nor should you follow him. Yet Paul explains to them that there was a purpose behind what he was doing. There was a purpose behind his conduct, both while he was with them in their presence, but also while he wrote to them in their letters. He talked about having this meekness and this gentleness. This Greek word for meekness not only talks about a person's meekness, uh, his behavior that he might have, but rather it is an inward grace of the soul that is first extended toward God the Father, a meekness from within, not just how he conducted himself from what people could see from the outside, but it was in the very soul of Paul to be first meek or humble toward God himself, but then toward others as he ministered to them. But also this gentleness. Uh, as I was reading through the different Greek lexicons on the meaning of this word, three of them referred back to Matthew Arnold. And, and that's pretty rare when you're reading through, but three of them referred back to this definition, two words of gentleness. Matthew Arnold said, a sweet reasonableness. So a sweet reasonableness, his gentleness, his meekness as he came to them, 
They were first exercised toward Jesus and then to others. Therefore, Paul chose to conduct himself in humility while he was with the Corinthians. But in boldness, when writing his letters, he went on to explain that he actually had a seemingly purpose behind what we might call this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, personality change that was being pointed out about Paul here. That the reason there was boldness in his letters was to allow him to have a meek and gentle spirit while in their presence. And so he liked to deal with the issues by letter if he's able to correct it. That he could be in their presence what he really truly desired to be. To be gentle, to be meek, to be humble among them. Paul and his team had been accused of walking in the flesh. And this accusation caused Paul to acknowledge, notice what he said, for though we walk in the flesh, he didn't deny it. Though we walk in the flesh, because we are human, we walk in the flesh. But he went on to say, we do not war according to the flesh. So there was this recognition. We're human. Of course we walk in the flesh. But the method of our warfare is not that of the flesh. It's different. Like the rest of you, Paul might have said, we put our robes on one sleeve at a time and tried to fit it to their time, not ours. You got that, right? <laughs> Though they were human, they did not war according to the way other humans warred. So he's going to go on to talk about a, a physical, fleshly warfare versus that of spiritual warfare, that the method of which they warred with was that of spiritual warfare. But not carnal, he says, verses four through six, but spiritual. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. There's a difference here. Though we are of the flesh, we're human. We put our robes on just like you do, one sleeve at a time. But we do not war as other humans war. The method of our warfare is that of spiritual and not carnal. When the terrorist attacks happened on 9-11, we discovered a carnal method of warfare that is used by our enemies. We had learned of a religion that was willing to use fleshly weapons in order to advance their cause. But we also know that in the Crusades of the 11th through the 13th centuries, to reclaim the land in the Middle East that we had Christian warriors who went forth to conquer Muslim nations. And many times they forced people to convert to Christianity. And if they refused to convert, people would be put to death. The idea of conquering a land through war and violence in the name of Christ is completely unbiblical. And many actions that took place during the Crusades they actually went against the very teaching 
of the word of God. Apparently, the Christians who fought during the Crusades were never taught that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. Through these spiritual weapons, Paul and his team were able to pull down strongholds. They were able to cast down ungodly arguments, bringing every thought into captivity and to punish all disobedience. The purpose behind these weapons was to bring believers into the obedience of Christ. That's the desire it should be of any church that we are able to fellowship together with one another, but into the obedience of Christ, to walk in the fellowship of Christ himself. Yet how did they accomplish this? It's interesting that Paul, he stated the weapons of our warfare, but he did not go into detail to actually say what the weapons were. So he kind of leaves it open. And sometimes things like this, well, they used to trouble me more. Why didn't you just tell us, Paul? Make it so much easier. But I believe that sometimes Scripture does not fill in the blanks for us because God has given us everything that we need to know to understand faith and how we should conduct ourselves as children of God right here in the Word of God. And instead of getting the cheat sheet on the weapons of the warfare. Let's go through the list. Rather, let's study the word of God and learn what those weapons might be. One theologian put it this way, his suggestion, I think it's a good one. He said, perhaps these weapons are faith in the living God, prayer and obedience toward the word of God. That's not a bad place to start, right? Faith in the living God, prayer and obedience toward the Word of God. Those are pretty good three things to kind of wrap up a ministry with in this day and age that we live in. We do learn that our method of warfare is different from Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13. It tells us that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts, the intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The weapons of our warfare, we have a sword. We have the sword of the word of God. Uh, Back when I was a kid, we would do Bible drills. And the first part of a Bible drill was to take your sword, to take the word of God. Then the teacher would shout out a verse of scripture. The first one to find it would be able to read it to the class. Maybe some didn't want to be first, not wanting to read before the class. But it was training for us that our sword is not a weapon of fleshly warfare. That sword is the very word of God. And the reason we say that is because the word of God tells us so. In fact, it's more impactful than the physical weapons of this world. It's able to go deeper than any physical weapon could possibly go. And I have to tell you, sometimes we misuse the sword of God. I heard one Calvary pastor say 
I realized that at one point in my ministry that I took the sword of the word of God and I hacked at the church so much so that by the end of the service, I left them bleeding and bloody, but no healing was taking place. And then he said, I learned that the sword has another use also. Like the skill of a surgeon who takes the knife and cuts to make the needed cuts and surgery to apply healing to the body. That's what the Lord has given us in his word. It may be that the weapons of our warfare would also be mighty in God. And may I suggest that we just consider that these weapons, these three things of faith in the living God, that of prayer and also obedience to the word of God is a good place to begin. So we learn belonging to Christ in verses seven through eleven. In verses 7 and 8, the Word of God tells us, Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so, we are Christ, or we belong to Jesus. For even if I should boast somewhat before our own authority or about our own authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. So he began by saying, since, well, here's the thing. I just want to point out in verse seven, it begins with a question. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? That's a question. Are you just looking at the outward appearance of things? Thing is, the Koine Greek didn't have any punctuations in it whatsoever. It was, in fact, written in all capital letters with no punctuation. And you really have to look at the context to understand where the sentences are, the breaks in the sentences, paragraphs, change of themes. All of that is difficult to do. Whether this is a question or a statement is something that, well, it could work either way as a question He's challenging them. Are you looking at things according to the outward appearances? But if a statement, he would be saying, do you look at things according to the outward appearances? Is that what you are doing? You're looking at things to outward appearances has, well, that's really something that we've all been guilty of, right? Often we look at outward things. We look at people's appearances how they look, how they dress, how they speak, the color of their skin. They, none of these things should be an issue when we talk about the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they are an issue. I was thinking of one of the military chaplains in South Sudan when we, I was part of this construction missionary team there in 2009, and one of the military chaplains, and we were with him a lot. He did not like the fact that Americans had to come to help them. He just, he did not like it. The thing is, the Americans who came to help actually knew what needed to be done and how to do the work, where they had not been trained in those things. And so it was a construction trip. There were certain jobs that needed to be done. A mason, it was a calling all masons, and the mason, I was the only one that showed up. I took for them a trick that I learned from my friend, John Marcourt, 
what would have took them the entire two weeks to do, we accomplished a work in less than two days because I saw what they were doing. It's like, no, I have a better way to do this. Let's do it this way. And I showed everybody how to do it, and they learned. And, you know, it wasn't just me. It was everybody. We all learned. And we were able to accomplish in two days. In fact, we accomplished so quickly what they thought would take the two weeks to do. They had to find other work for us to do. So we ended up putting a ceiling in their church, which was wonderful to help them out in that way. But we kind of get that way sometimes. You're going to come here and show us what to do. But sometimes there's tricks that other people learn. It's like, yeah, I can show you. Actually, I can show you how to do it faster and uh, better if you just let me show you what I've learned in my course of my life. And that should be in our church that we learn. You know, there's some simple things. One time somebody suggested, why don't we put one of those automatic lights at the back stairs? And uh, we did. But I never thought about it. I just got accustomed to walking through the dark looking for the light switch. <laughs> and quite often we get accustomed to walking through the dark looking for a light switch when it could be a little easier than that if we just help one another. Looking at outward appearances sometimes can cause us to determine something that is not true about a brother or sister. We could be totally off base without actually learning from them listening to them, talking with them. We set up barriers, we set up walls that should never be there. And so I think we've all been guilty of it, yes. Paul reprimanded them for looking at the outward appearances instead of turning to the inward motive of the hearts through the help of the Holy Spirit to be able to look at individuals and their worth, not just by the outward appearance or circumstance of their life, what's the inward motive of their heart? What's driving them? If it's Christ driving them, we have a foundation to work together. So he talks about boasting. Talking about this boasting, this degree of confidence in someone or something, he says, I'm going to boast about these things. In 1 Corinthians one thirty one, Paul wrote, let him who glories, let him glory in the Lord. If we're going to boast, let's boast in the Lord. Let's boast in Jesus Christ and the work that Jesus is doing in and among our lives. And Paul acknowledged to them that you guys say that you belong to Christ. He says, I want you to know that so do we. We also belong to Jesus. And since we belong to Jesus, just like you belong to Jesus, the Lord has given us a place of authority over this church. It was true for Paul and his missionary team. They founded the church there in Corinth, and he said, not for your destruction, but for your edification. I love this Greek word. It's a word that simply means to build up, to build up. It can talk about building up a structure, but when talking about an individual's life, it's talking about building up individuals in Christ Jesus. We are to come together to build up one another. Ephesians 4.29, Paul uses the word again, where he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, what is good for building up. It's the same Greek word 
here translated as necessary edification, that we may impart grace to the hearers. As we gather together, our purpose should be to build up one another in the word of God, yes, but also in the work that God has called us to as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we thank you for the word that you've given us here this day, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to just fall in love with you more and more. We thank you, Lord, for this church body. We thank you, Lord, that this is the sphere of influence that you've given us. And we pray, Lord, like Paul desired for Corinth, that we would grow beyond Corinth. That was his desire for them. Lord, help us to grow beyond these church walls into our community, um, into our state, our county, uh, into the world. And Lord, you can help us to do that through physical missionaries going forth from this place, but also through the online capabilities that we have, through radio that we have. But Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to have this place to worship you. Help us, Lord, to serve you with our lives, with our hearts, all the days of our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Hey.